Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. I'm really excited you're here today. Good friend of mine, Daniel De Piazza, is joining our program. He is the founder and creator of a very, 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 very popular blog called Rich 20-something. It can be found at rich20something.com. He is a avid, avid writer. Daniel's been published in Time Magazine, Fortune, Entrepreneur, Business Insider, Yahoo Business, Huffington Post, just to name a few. One of my favorite early stories with Daniel is how he got on HuffPost. He actually just guessed uh, Ariana Huffington's email address until he got it right and convinced her that he should write on the Huffington Post, which uh, I'm not sure if that tactic will work anymore, but uh, that's how Daniel made it happen. And I think he's somebody that just doesn't take no for an answer. Uh, and figures out how to to get what he wants to to make the world a better place, which is a really important thing. And he's got a book that's uh, launching right now called uh, Rich Twenty Something, and we're really excited to have him on the program today. Daniel, welcome to the program. Ah, oh, Brent, thank you so much. It's good to have you here, man. We've uh, we've been talking for years now and trading secrets and stories and uh, tips and tactics. I'm, I'm really honored to have you on the program today. Hey, man, it's, uh, it's my pleasure. And, you know, I, I will say this, and this is um, the absolute truth. You saw this about four years ago from the beginning. And we've been talking for a few years. And so you've seen this gradual progression. And I hope that Hope that you've been taking notes. <laughs> I, you know, a, a, a little, a few notes. Um, I think I could probably go back in our like Facebook Messenger history, and that would probably be a good timeline uh, from you know just just talking about launches and talking about how to get more out of our businesses, and um, and I think we've we've had some good exchanges, good open exchanges of of information and methods and things like that, and I think that's always a good sign of an entrepreneur. And I think you've really um, grown your own empire of, of people just starting out and people that don't want to have jobs. And I'm kind of curious, like, why did you, I mean, in your, I think a lot of your platform is around not having a job and doing your own thing. And why that, like, why was that your thing from very young? I mean, your website, Rich 20 something was kind of founded on this concept of being you know, brand new millennial into the workforce that didn't want to join the workforce and wanted to do something. So where, where did that come from? Well, you know, look, I mean, I think, I think there's obvious amounts of frustration, especially in the millennial generation with that transition now between um, school where we're promised a lot of things because that's the way the system is set up. And then the actual everyday experience of work life. I think there's a lot of frustration and a lot of missed opportunities and broken promises there. So I think that's the obvious the obvious part of it. But I also think that over the past couple of years, uh, counterintuitively, as it may seem, I've come to appreciate uh, corporate jobs a bit. But now, because I have a corporation, not a big corporation, it's an S-corp, but 
you know, employing people and having to run a company and all the things that come in into play there. Now I look at bigger corporations and I'm like, man, that must be really hard because entrepreneurship is really fun. It can be very freeing. And I think it's the best way to make money for yourself, you know, to make sure that you can control how much money you're going to make. But at the same time, it has its own challenges. So now I look at the corporate, at my, at my hatred for the man. And think, <laughs> you know, we could be friends sometime down the line. If you just apologize, we could, get, we could be friends. It's funny how you can publish content and talk about kind of that idea of like hating the corporate or, or working for the man. But then it's at some level, every entrepreneur that has a business, like you said, it has an S corp or whatever that has like you have employees like to somebody you are the man. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm the man to a lot of people, but I'm the man to other people. <laughs> You're and, like, and, read uh, this book about quitting your job, but team, don't quit your job. Stay here. Right, be here. I need you <laughs> and I need to pay you. And I also can't, I don't want you to rival me either. I want you to just do what I'm telling you to do. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a good, uh, I don't know if that's a predicament or, uh, uh, it's just, you know what? It's an unexpected thing that you, that you don't see until you get to the other side. I, I understand why some, millennials or other people might not want to go into the corporate space, but did you have a moment where it was clear that you were an entrepreneur or was it, I mean, at least I know for my own sake, I didn't even like that term for the first seven or eight years that I was starting a business. I I don't know why I, I really don't. I just, maybe I just didn't understand it, but was there a moment where you knew that that's what you wanted to do and what you were up to or was it just kind of building something and that was what was cool well i never i I never labeled myself similar to you i never labeled myself as an entrepreneur mostly because that term is a buzzword that's become very popularized with especially my age range so I'm, i'm 28 i'll be 29 in about a week or so uh, and and so anyone from like 18 to 30 right now or maybe even into their mid 30s we're all millennials uh, and definitely into the mid thirties then actually. So we're all millennials and a lot of us are very overly hyped on the word entrepreneur. Now I didn't see myself as an entrepreneur. I saw myself as like a free spirit. And I think having a free spirit is part of one of the good, one of the best qualities of entrepreneurs were free spirits. And I felt like I was stuck between a rock and a hard place to use my grandmother's analogy. And, and basically here's, here's what happened to me. I graduated school, like many of us, and I felt like I had two choices, and it's kind of this fork in the road type situation. Behind door number one, curtain number one, more school. So what does that mean? Well, one, it means I have to figure out something that I'd like to do for two to four to ten more years, depending on my specialty. Two, I'd have to pay for it. Three, I'd have to stick to it. So that sounded like a lot of commitment for something that I wasn't sure about, and I didn't want to pull that trigger because there was nothing that really attracted me. You know, I, I had attorneys in my family, and they're not like the happiest people in the world. So next, <laughs> you know, I mean, they're not, um, they're hopefully not. none of them are listening right now. No, they're definitely not listening to podcasts for sure. <laughs> they're doing lawyer work. Yeah. They're doing lawyer work. Right. Uh, and they're very tired. And, um, and then, you know, the other option was corporate. So I've had friends that have gone into corporate as well. Um, and especially, especially now, if you want to just circle back and say people who are doing like corporate law, people who are doing like corporate finance, I have friends in investment banking, who graduated school and they're, man, they're just, in, or friends who even just go the, like the long-term medical school route, like all these really intense things that are they're part of a bigger system. And like, man, that sounds really intense. And I'm not sure if I want to work my way up the corporate ladder. It doesn't really seem like that's the right fit for me either. And so that kind of had me distraught. And what ended up happening was I had to eventually fall somewhere. I had to 
find some way to make money for myself after school, after college. And if it wasn't going to be corporate, it wasn't going to be more school. It, was, it had to be these just, I call them work-a-day jobs. So what am I doing? I'm working a day just to get to the next day. So did everything, man. I worked in a museum gift shop. I worked at uh, UPS delivering packages with little brown short shorts, um, which complement my frame quite well. I... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I worked in a, I worked in several restaurants and as I went through these experiences, this is the point where I started to become fed up with the idea that I was just blatantly exchanging this, this hour for this amount of dollars and it never was enough. And that wasn't me being greedy. It was just me saying, look, there's not enough hours. There's no set amount of time in my day that I should assign to pay for a gallon of milk or some gas. There, there's no, the value exchange should never be equal there. So I need to find something different. And a, a few years into working these jobs, I snapped. Mm. So is that when you started to blog? Well, what happened was it, it, le- it led to the blog um, indirectly. I was in the back of the kitchen, Longhorn Steakhouse, paint this picture, 2000, <laughs> 2010, 2011, Atlanta, Longhorn Steakhouse, and I was scooping these butter balls. Now, if you've ever worked in, have you ever worked at a restaurant, Brett? Uh, I have built countless restaurant websites. I have been to many, many restaurant kitchens, but I have never earned one dollar from an, a restaurant as a as an employee. Well, I barely earned a dollar either, so we're on the same page. <laughs> uh, so, but, so you're scooping. What were you scooping? I'm scooping butter. Butter. And, uh, okay. Now, keep in mind, okay, that this is this is butter that was like had been in the fridge for a while, so it was still kind of hard, and I had to scoop it into these these uh, plastic dishes called ramekins, and we paired up with this with this big basket of bread. Um, Longhorn Steakhouse is a cousin of uh, of um, of Olive Garden and Red Lobster, so you know they're all they all revolve around the bread. You either have to get the the um, the biscuits, the che- the Cheddar Bay biscuits from <laughs> from Red Lobster. Everyone knows about those, or you need to get the unlimited. Uh, olive oil brushed breadsticks from Olive Garden. Okay, of course. so Long, Longhorn has their own version of this, which I think is probably the it's probably the worst of all three of those. Uh, but it's just like this hearty, hearty country bread. Okay, so I'm putting this butter in these baskets, and I have to lay out all the butter for the day. So there's about 500 of them, and this is also Atlanta in the South. Um, so people really like butter, and they're big, huge fans of diabetes. So they wanted me to to get all this ready. Um, so I was scooping these butter these Butterballs, and I had to do about 500 of them. And by the time I got to the end of the 400s, it was like 480, 490. I was really close to being done. My manager, Scott, uh, shout out to Scott if you're listening to this, which I know you're not. He comes up to me and he's like, Hey, these balls are just not acceptable. And of course, for me, at first I was offended because I looked down. (laughs) Your balls are not acceptable. Yeah, is everything okay? Like, you know, that, oh, the butter balls is what you're referring to. And he's like, Yeah, these have to be scooped all over again because they're flat on one side. And I'm like, dude, this is a consumable. This is this is this is butter. It's not. No one cares about this stuff. And um, it's not like, are you really gonna make me go back and do all this work again? It was, you know, it was one of those things where it was like, looking back on it now, it's almost hard to evoke the same amount of emotion that I had at the time because it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But for me at the time, I was like, man, if I can't even adequately scoop this butter into these trays for you, this is not the job for me. So for at that point. I snapped. I started thinking about the skills I was going to have to do or or the skills I was going to have to develop and grow and start my own thing. And I didn't know what it was going to be, but I did know that there were a few things I was already good at. One of those things happened to be uh, test prep, like SAT, ACT, test prep. Um, I was good at this in college. I taught it for a while at a couple of different companies. So my first business was a freelance test prep company, which 
started off as just me and then I built into multiple people and eventually we sold it. And then I went on from that to other businesses, mostly based around services and consulting. And I grew those up. And over time, I started writing about these things. And Rich 20 was born in 2012 as I started to document these experiences, uh, you know, wins and losses, building these companies up. And that writing caught, caught some traction. And that's what became Rich 20. That's cool. So there is hope if you are out there right now and you're scooping butterballs <laughs> and your butterballs are flat on one side. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel says there's hope for you. It's a light at the end of the tunnel for you. Yeah. So you start this blog, you're making some money in the side. I mean, just even talking about you assessed what you were good at. So if somebody does not have a business and they're scooping butterballs or whatever their version of butterballs is, how can they identify what they're good at? Because it sounds like you were doing test prep or somehow you were making money doing that. There was some validation there, even if you didn't understand that that was market validation at the time, if, if I'm sitting there and I'm scooping my butter balls, how can you, how can I assess what I'm good at or what is a marketable skill or service that I might not even know that I have? That's a really good question. And this is something that people come to, to ask me a lot about, which is probably the reason why I wrote a book on it. I'm like, man, you guys got to just read the book. I can't keep talking about this. But, <laughs> but, but, it, but you know what? You know what people keep asking? Because it's so important. And it's such, it's such a barrier. Now, I'm going to tell you exactly how to do it, but I'll, I'll frame it. I'll preface it by saying this. Your idea, while it is important, uh, is probably like one of the lesser important things in this process of you building your business. You can have a great idea with poor execution that fails or a mediocre idea with excellent execution that soars. And so whatever your idea is that you come up with, that's great. And I hope it's a great idea. Um, but it's not the most important thing. A lot of people give up at this stage because they like either they can't find a good idea or they can't like locate their passion, both of which are, I feel, um, unnecessary stumbling blocks because I think your passions are always changing. So that being said, skill inventory is the first thing. I always tell people to do a skill inventory. And I like to start with freelance businesses, so it's good that I'm on this podcast because I think it's the easiest, lowest hanging fruit. And so there are a couple places you can look. The first place is um, just past job experience. A lot of times there's something that you've done for another company that if that company weren't involved, you could be paid a lot more for so, for example, with my test prep example, um, in college, I taught for Kaplan, which is if you guys have ever gone to you know, school and you've done SAT test prep, this is a, probably a very bad nightmare for you. But Kaplan is a, um, it's a test, prep test prep company similar to Princeton Review or other places where they basically just give you a huge workbook and walk you through the workbook. And then you do better on these, on these rote memorization standardized tests. But I'm actually very good at those tests. And so I started working on that. Uh, right after high school and kind of going into college and I was teaching there and I was making like 18 bucks an hour in college and for a college student where everything is compared to minimum wage in your mind, um, I thought that was really, really good money until I went to a student's house. Um, this is, you know, a couple years into me teaching for Kaplan. I went to a student's house and I saw that they were charging a hundred dollars an hour for me to be there and they weren't doing any of the work. I was driving to the house, which was pretty far. I was delivering the lessons. I was teaching the students. I was consulting with the parents. I was basically playing like sideline therapist. And all Kaplan was doing to get the 82 out of $100 that I was getting, because I was 18, the only thing they were doing was connecting me with the client. So I thought to myself, when my first business was on the precipice of starting, I'm like, oh, well, that, there's clearly value there. So look for the things you've done in the past that, that, that employers basically just uh, become the middleman of, and see if you can cut out the middleman. So start thinking about your past work. 
Second place to look is um, natural talents, skills, or hobbies. We all have one. And one of the most um, interesting things about humans is we'll always downplay our own abilities um, because I think there's like a cultural thing where it's where it's like more acceptable to be modest about what we're good at. So we'll say like, oh, you know, yeah, I speak two other languages, but like lots of people speak French and Spanish, so that's not monetizable. Not true, you know? Um, or yeah, like I can kind of code, I can kind of like do WordPress, uh, but like I'm not that good at it, so like someone better than me would be able to provide it better. Well, no, I'd argue that, you know, even if you can just do WordPress, which is the most popular platform for publishing websites now, even if you can just hack around on that, you're still ahead of 90% of people who have no idea what that is, you know? Um, and, and so that's another thing, you know, thinking about things that you're already good at, things that you have even a moderate level of skill at. Another thing to look at is um, things that people are always asking you for or suggesting. So an example here, I, uh, my brother-in-law, he is, um, he has like a big truck, like it's a Ford, and it's one of those Fords that's just obnoxious. It's like F350, F450, one of those ones where you're like, come on, Caleb, do you really need to get the one next level up? Like a 150 or a 250 wouldn't have done it. You know, you can already fit a couch in here, whatever. So he has one of these big trucks um, that's destroying the earth. And uh, every weekend, though, people were asking him, hey, you know, every, for some reason now, everyone was asking him if they could, if he could help them move. Can you help me move my couch? I need to move this dresser. He's the guy with the truck. Yeah, he's the guy. Everyone Everybody has a, has a friend with the truck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone, so he became the friend with the truck. And at first he was like, yeah, I'm a good guy. I'll definitely help you. Cool. And, you know, eventually like two, three of his weekends were now taken up by this stuff. He's like, okay, enough of this. Um, so I can help you move, but it's like $65 an hour. And you know what? They didn't balk at that. They were like, sure. Can you come at two? And he had, a business, you know, um, and then he started, he just expanded it from there. And then, you know, so there's, so there's things people ask you for. And then also this is one that's a little bit riskier, but it's something that I've done in the past. Um, things you want to learn, right? So this is actually what I did with WordPress when I was developing websites and I was developing simple WordPress websites. I would, I was, I could hack around on it, but I was not there. Like there's like definitely a level of WordPress professionalism that is like, you know, you can be a top tier WordPress developer and designer. That wasn't me, but I knew I could get it installed and like play around with themes and make it look pretty custom. So I started taking jobs, sharpening my skills, even though I was kind of a novice and growing from there. So things you want to learn can become side hobbies, side jobs, and even full-time businesses if you develop them and you can get paid to develop them. I think that's the famous quote of fake it till you make it client says, can you do this? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I just, <laughs> we got lots of projects in the pipeline and I can't show you any of them because of NDAs, but I have a, there. We have so much experience. I, did, I totally <laughs> did. You know what? I would totally say I would be like, or, you know, so that's, that's a good one. And NDAs is a good, like, um, gives you some wiggle room and another one you can use too. And I'm not necessarily, I'm only telling you my experience. I'm not telling you that like you should do this. I'm just telling you my experience. Another one that I would do if I if I need to get a job, but I didn't have the client because the thing is I have faith in me. I know this is going to get done. I'm not going to let this job suck. And I'm really hungry at the time, so I need the money. So I think, okay, well, I need to get this job. It's like a $5,000 gig. It's on Elance. They've already talked to me. Elance is now Upwork. What can I do to get the job? One other thing I would say is um, – I would go to, I'd be like, well, you know, I can't show you any of our work because of NDAs, but we can do sites like this. And then I'd find other websites and people just associate what you want them to associate. So if you're like, if you show them like such, such website and they, they like those features and I say, yeah, we can do that. No problem. Then I just find a theme that could do that. Yeah. Make it happen, you know? 
That's really good. I, I like so many people tell me when we go into talk about how to help them focus on a market or focus even on technology or this or that. Well, I don't my port. There's nothing in my portfolio that looks like that or there in and I like the idea of being able to say to somebody, here's the type of stuff we could do for you if you wanted to. I mean, at some point, somebody's got to trust you and figure out how to be okay with paying you for that, even though you haven't built it before. But I think if you can show them things that maybe eases their mind or, like you said, associates uh, that other work that they didn't do with something that they might be able to do that might help you get over that hurdle. Yeah, and don't, don't abuse the trust. Like Once you get the job, crush it. Do a really good job. Um, don't, I mean, it's the whole, the whole idea is like, I know in the beginning when you're starting off and you don't have any portfolio or you don't have anything to show for your work, it's really hard to not feel like you're scamming people. It doesn't mean that you are, but like, you just don't feel confident in yourself. So how can you confidently go to someone and say, I want you to pay me X amount of hundreds or thousands of dollars to do this job for you when you don't have anything to back that up. But what you have to do at that point, you know, besides just the tired platitude of fake it till you make it is you need to trust yourself and develop those skills along the way. And, and really deliver a great product for those clients. And, and so that way, you won't ever have to have the scenario again of, I don't know if I can do this. Because all it takes for you is to get one client, for you to do one really good job, for you to know that you're legit. And then you just keep growing. And there's and you know just full disclosure for anyone who's listening who's like on this road already, I, I have a very small, narrow skill set of things I'm good at. And most things I'm doing for the first time or I have no idea what I'm doing. You know, If I'm really trying to grow, if I'm really trying to like, we're working on a new business right now, and I'm, I'm starting over like a complete novice. So I'm like, okay, like, I guess this is the way to go. Um, yeah. And so it's okay to, to have that feeling, you know? I think that beginner's mindset is helpful. I think where people a lot of times fall down, that was where when, when they're actually asking somebody for money and they have that beginner's mindset, I think there's something about they don't feel like they're ready yet. And, I, and I've always felt confident that I could deliver, even if that meant I was going to sacrifice late nights or weekends or whatever. I mean, that's what happens is you tell somebody you can do something like this and maybe you're not seeing, uh, you know, all the complexity or the nuance and, and you end up burning the midnight oil for, you know, a few weeks or something like that. But that's okay because then you're then you realize that you can do that when necessary. You can go above and beyond. You can put in the extra time, the extra hours. Uh, and get super resourceful about whatever it is that you promised. And, and and maybe you don't have the resources right off the top, but eventually you figure it out. Yeah, I mean, if it's not resources, then you need resourcefulness. So like a simple example of that is I took a job, and this is when like one of the strategies I developed for getting jobs on these job boards, which I don't necessarily, I don't, job, going on job boards is not, like a job board doesn't equal freelancing just because not all, not all freelancing is done on these job boards. This is just the place where I started because it seemed like an easy place to start. And the way, the way that I made it easier for myself was since I'm pretty good talking to people, that's one of the things I'm naturally good at, I just started doing um, video pitches. And I made it really easy for people to pick me because no one does video pitches. So I would do like a quick 45-second YouTube video where I could get a picture of my face, see how I talk, see how I was not like some weirdo. Um, and it would make it easier for me to get the job. And so I, got, I was starting to get a bunch of jobs. And one of the jobs... They wanted me to like to build something that looked pretty simple. So I'm like, yeah, we can. I just did my thing. We can do something like this. They're like, great, do it. And then what ended up happening was I had to end up learning like a lot of PHP in like five days, like four. Days. I had to learn like a lot of PHP, and I was not prepared for that. So that was like I was like, oh, I kind of bit off a lot more like a chew here, but I got it done. So you're one of the people that 
I feel like his is you know you were creating businesses and things like that, and then you started to kind of share that experience. I think that's kind of where we crossed paths. Was actually this freelance like how to win jobs on Elance and how you know creating the video pitches. I think you created some content for us way back in the day after you and I started t- chatting about this. Did you know Bridge Twenty Something was going to be ultimately its own thing, or was this like a well? I'm doing this freelance work over here. I'm just going to start blogging about it. Was there, were there, was there a model that you knew from day one that you were trying to emulate with your own experience, your own stamp in the marketplace? To- totally not. And I think part of that is because um, just the way that the industry has changed over the past couple of years, especially like in Rich Twenty started in 2012, and it was just a, a personal diary. It was my mom reading it, and I think she unsubscribed. Uh, <laughs> you lost your mom as a subscriber. I, I don't think so. I think you're. I bet your mom's still subscribed. She buy my products. She always wants to get the free passes in. She hasn't finished my book yet. She doesn't know I have a podcast. It's like, come on, man. Like, anyway, that's a whole other story. But it's okay. I, I'm pretty sure my parents are still struggling to connect to the internet. But let, that, that's just a whole other subject. They're on that 56.6k dial-up speed, man. They still have AOL accounts. I'm just, oh, oh. I'm just putting that out there. I have a friend who works at AOL, and he said that like there's a large majority of people, like millions of people, who still use the AOL dial-up to connect to the internet. And I was like, how? Mm. Like, in what capacity would that even serve them? <laughs> You're like, do they connect with their cell phone? Like, what? Yeah, <laughs> where's the modem in my iPhone? Yeah, well, that, yeah, yeah. I guess does my, I guess my iPhone does have a modem. Um, but. But yeah, so that, that, that's crazy. And I didn't really see the blog becoming a business just because it doesn't, it's only starts to make sense to me that, that you can start a blog and it can become a business over the past few years. You know, I look at now, I look at social media, especially because I'm really deep into that space. Not everyone is, you don't have to be deep into that space to, to have a successful internet business, but I just, I happen to be pretty deep into social media. And one of the things I'm seeing now is that especially towards like the middle of 2016, um, the idea of individual influencers really started to explode. Like anywhere between like two, late 2015, early 2016. And I think that there is a correlation with the, with the growth of like the Instagram platform with live streaming being on pretty much every platform. Um, so you can connect with people like automatically right away. And I think that influencers have become a big thing and part partially because influencers have become like a standard level of, I would say, low level celebrity online. It makes it easier to monetize your content and not just for me, but for everybody, because as as people, we're always looking for other people to follow people who we want to emulate their habits, people who we want to emulate their business, people who we want to emulate their body or their girlfriends or boyfriends. We want to emulate people to be try to become a better version of ourselves. So that. That um, cultural shift with all these influencers now popping up online with hundreds of thousands of followers allowed me to like do some deeper work in that space and become an influencer. And then it was easier for me to turn my writing into products, courses, uh, seminars, uh, talks, different and a book, different opportunities because of the way that the landscape has changed. And it's possible for anyone who's listening to this to do the same. And you don't need to be, uh, you know, a Kardashian to do it. Yeah, I think at the core of what you've done and in even what I've done is I mean obviously you have to have good content to do what I'm about to say but it it but it is the necessary engine behind all of this which is developing a great list of people whether that's followers on Instagram whether that's you know whatever people do on Snapchat whether that's your email list you have to have a list in order to eventually 
try to launch something. I mean, I think even with your, I'm sure the first question your book publisher asked you was how big is your list or something like that. I mean, they, they want to know how many people have already said, yes, Daniel's ideas are good and we're interested in still hearing about them and we'd like to learn more and maybe we want to buy stuff. That was the first question I got from the agent before I could even get the publisher. Yeah. And as I was updating my agent, Kirsten, who's amazing, who's a super agent, and I'm so glad that we ended up working together, as as the years went by, like I started talking to her from a, a warm introduction from a mutual friend in the like maybe second quarter of 2014, and we didn't sign a deal until the like second or third quarter of 15. And every couple of months, I would just update her with my new stats. And only once my stats had reached, reached a certain point, like a certain amount of followers on Instagram, certain amount of, I don't remember exactly what the numbers were, but like, I think I had maybe 40,000 email subscribers, which is a pretty decent number. She's like, oh, he's serious. Because most people say, I want to write a book, and then she never hears from him again. But every mm. single, like, every two or three months, I was like, here's what I got now. Here's what I got now. I'd even use my old Elance pitch. I'd be like, I do a little video, a little YouTube. <laughs> hey, Kirsten, how are you? Because I really want this book. And so you're right. It is all about because bigger, bigger media now. If you if you guys are looking to like figure out a way to leverage your content and your ideas and get picked up by a bigger a bigger company or a bigger media platform, they want to know what you bring to the table. And they're not they're not in the business of like in most cases like discovering people anymore. They just want to sign people who are already discovered. You know. Yeah. You know, I want to spend a little time talking about mindset because I think you have, you know, you mentioned emulating people's mindset or I'm sorry, emulating people, their uh, what kind of girlfriends they have, what kind of habits they have and things like that. I think that one of the things that I've, I've um, been fascinated just watching you grow and watching you grow your list and get the book deal and all this kind of stuff uh, is around mindset. And I know there's, you know, at the core, everybody has these belief statements, right? And what you just said about the book deal, where you were following up constantly, and maybe at first it wasn't even something that seemed like they were interested in you doing or whatever. And I think that's, you know, book deal, insert whatever here, right? Uh, Maybe for somebody else, it's, you know, my email list. Maybe it's the next client that they're trying to win or whatever. You know, at first they weren't that interested in what you had to say, but you kept at it. And that persistence uh, especially when people say no. I mean, you talk to entrepreneurs all the time. They said, you know, I went and raised money from 103 people and one of, you know, I tried to raise money from 103. I actually raised money from one. <laughs> you know, and, and, and no is something that you hear all the time or maybe just no response or maybe, and it sounds like you've gone through that kind of over and over and over again. And I always think that it comes back to that core belief statement that when your belief statements or how you think of yourself and what you're trying to do in the world, when that when that sucks, when that's just, when there is no matter there, there's no uh, mass there, then everything else fails. Like your thoughts suck, your actions aren't very good, and ultimately your outcomes aren't, aren't, uh, aren't that great. But when, when you have that core belief, and I think you do that, I, I don't know if your core belief is like, I'm a freaking raging rock star. So it's something like, I mean, I, I see your Facebook post or whatever. I mean, but you have confidence, right? You have, you're committed and dedicated to what you're doing. And in that core belief about yourself or what you're trying to achieve uh, gets you past the no. It gets you past the uh, the maybe. It gets you past the, well, talk to us in six months. And then you actually do it. Like you stay committed. You send them videos. You send them constant updates. Not everybody does that. So, so for you, like where is that coming from? What's that kernel of belief that exists with inside of Daniel that is helping to fuel all this? Well, I have a few things, and I think 
one of the, the things I've realized over the past six to nine months is that over the past few years, I've read so many books now that I think I think my beliefs are starting to crystallize a bit. And I think retrospectively, looking back on my decisions, it's very easy to piece together a reason for why I did something based on my beliefs now. It's always easy with perception bias to say to look back and say, oh, well, this is the reason why I did this or this is the reason why I did that, you know. So I think the best the best answer is just for me to look at the way I, I look at the world now and, and give some context for it. Because I'm I can't always speak to like past Daniel. I think that a lot of times from for instance, for me for me following up with a book, it just seemed like the next logical thing. Because again, what's the what's the what's the what are my choices? I'm gonna go back to working at a restaurant someday? Like, no, I have to move to the next step. So I just it was there's definitely always some desperation plays there. And like I just gotta keep following up. I gotta make it happen. But looking back on that and and then and then kind of like Filtering that out with a lot of the things I've learned, uh, just growing up and moving out of my 20s and into my 30s, which I think are going to be a, a is going to be a really great decade. One of my core beliefs is that I persevere when I'm frustrated. In fact, I have like seven core maxims, and if we have time, I can go through them. But but one of the core maxims is that I persevere when I'm frustrated, and I don't say that just as a platitude or as like a like a generalism. I really mean that. The only thing that really separates me from anybody who also wants to do the things that I've been able to do is that I just don't, I just don't quit. Um, or, or I guess the asterisk there would be if it's a good opportunity and I'm on the right path, I don't quit. And I think that that's really important because there's one, a lot of distraction out there with opportunity and information becomes a lot of distraction. So I stay focused on that thing. And then I, I kind of like expect mistakes as part of the game. I don't see them as like a reflection on my personal self-worth. So before this, the, we, we went live, I was talking to you about jujitsu and I was joking with you. I said, you know, I've been feeling real confrontational because I haven't rolled in a few, in a few weeks and rolling is the term we use in jujitsu for sparring. And so it's like live sparring. And since jujitsu is no striking, it's only like chokes, joint locks, and, and it's just basically like wrestling with a more deadly twist. When you, when you get to do that often, you just get humbled so much because even if you've been there doing it for, for me like almost three years, there's someone who's been doing it for four, five, six, 20, and they're just going to kill you. And it's just, it doesn't matter. I've had, you know, 95 pound girls like legitimately destroyed. Seriously. Like, and it wasn't like they weren't faking it. Like I wasn't trying to play nice. They were killing me. I've had old dudes just wipe the floor with me. So it, it definitely levels your ego out and it just makes you realize that, man, mistakes are totally inevitable. You're going to get frustrated and patience is a very, very important skill to not just like be grateful to have once in a while, but to actively and intentionally cultivate and develop. So when there is a, a frustrating situation, a client is saying no, this agent isn't responding to my email, this deal isn't going through yet, the first resource I look for is patience because it's that patience that's going to allow me to not make the decision to quit um, and I think that's what a lot of, not, not just our generation, not just my generation, but I think especially my generation is always looking for like perhaps an easy out or something that's going to make whatever their frustration is immediately go away. Sometimes the only thing is patience. So don't quit, expect mistakes and maintain some patience. Again, that sounds very much like Mr. Miyagi stuff, but I think it's, <laughs> it's real though. It's re- Do not I, quit, I, Danielson. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's, it's real because, um, have you ever been in a situation where like you're, you're waiting for something to happen and it's building up some anxiety and you feel like you have to make a, like you have to make some sort of move. Otherwise you'll have wasted time. Like the idea is like, I'm trying to work on this thing. It's not happening. So like whatever the next move is, I got to jump to that immediately. Otherwise I don't want to stall out. I want to wait. 
But the way I look at the world is I see, I, I kind of, I see things more in relation with my intention. So if my intention is to get an agent and to, because I want to eventually get a publisher and publish a book, if I approach the agent and she says no, then I don't take that personally. I don't run from that, that person, that instance of like rejection. I say, okay, how can I get her to say yes? What would she need? And however long that's going to take, as long as my intention is still to get a, a publisher, I'm just going to do as whatever it's going to take to get there. And I'm going to ask her, what else would you need? How many more followers would I need to get? What type of other follow you know, would you need? When can I talk to you again? And I'm just going to do it. And I don't even have any, um, any shame about being annoying sometimes too. And I try not to be, but I don't care. Yeah. And I'm just, and there's patience in that too, you know? I think people have a very funny relationship with the word no. Mm, tell me about it. And, and, and I'm just, I'm thinking through the mindset that I'm hearing from you and I, I love it because it's just totally validating some stuff that I'm, I'm trying to share with some folks in our community and just looking at like three statements, you know, uh, you know, I might succeed. That's not a very empowering mindset to be in. You know, then there's the folks that, that are like, I want to succeed. Like, Oh, Daniel's succeeding. I want that. I want to succeed. And then there's the people that are like, I will succeed. Like I will get a book deal. And I feel like when you have that mindset, when, when you're, you're sitting there going, well, I will get a book deal. So, cause you told me no today. Uh, so I just need to come back at a different angle tomorrow. And then the next day and then the next day and then the next day. And it is a, uh, a war of inches. I mean, you literally just maybe, after 10 emails, you finally get a response that's like, hey, you're really annoying. And there's two ways to look at that. One is you're annoying or one is, oh my God, I got a response. <laughs> yeah. So this is the flip side of that coin uh, because now I'm in a position where I'm also getting a lot of those emails too. And, very, and, and I, I give them credit. People who are very, uh, who have a lot of perseverance and are like just trying to get in contact with me to help out or lend some insight or whatever thing that is that I can do that can help them. And the ones that I notice that break through and we actually become acquaintances or friends and a lot of a lot of my readers and my followers have become close friends like over the years we've just become very close friends and the ones who end up doing that are usually the ones that like they have a good amount of self-awareness to them so yes you want that perseverance you want to have the mindset that i'm going to make this happen and it's just a matter of like how and when um but then also have some self-awareness so like if you sent 10 emails and you know they keep getting rejected let's say by the by the like server well that's not the email address (laughs) <laughs> you know, um, and, and so like the, you know, so change up your strategy. And so it, it's one thing to be, to have perseverance. It's another thing to persevere with the wrong method for a mm. long period of time. So just have some awareness. So for me, for instance, when, when Kirsten rejected me initially, you know, her rejection was like super nice compared to what a lot of people's are. It's mostly just like, I like your idea, but you don't have enough, you know, traction to, for me to make this into something that we can sell. So my thing was, all right, well, I'm not going to be able to just repitch her the same idea. I got to go out there and do some stuff. Cause I have to have the awareness to know that like in order for her to do her job, I have to do mine. So sometimes mm. you being, you having perseverance is going to require you to not just re- like, it's like, it's like, it's like uh, trying to print something and it's not printing. So you just <laughs> slam the print button 10 more times. That's <laughs> perseverance. That's just crazy. Or, or so take you, the baseball bat to it and then just yeah. end, right? I mean, so, so there is, I, I, li- I love that. So perseverance, but also being self-aware that sometimes you have to go and, and if they're expecting you to, the people that they want to publish books for, if they're expecting you to be at a certain level and you're not there yet, then no amount of, pers- no amount of, of pressing the print button will help you become that. Like you have to leave 
and go hang out with Mr. Miyagi or whatever and, and figure yourself out and then come back to that person when you're ready. Yeah, because it's not, because again, it's not, what, I try to remember my own quote that I made up. I made it up the other day. When it, okay, here's, here's my own quote. This, is, this one got a lot of likes on Instagram. You ready? Okay. Um, when life is easy, don't take it for granted. When life is hard, don't take it personally. So sometimes you're going to have, like I know, I've certainly had situations in my life, um, even in business, where like I just threw something out there and it just caught like it was just a client that I wanted to get. And they're just like, I'm like 30,000 bucks. Sure. Let's go. And it was like done same day, you know, or like, you know, we, we launch a, a product or a program and it just crushes. I'm like, man, that was easy. I'm a, I'm a God at this. I'm so good at business. And then there are other times when it's like just really difficult and you're like, man, do I, am I not cut out for this? Am I not a good leader? Like different times you doubt yourself. And so when it was easy, try not to take it for granted. Like, you know, everything that you're doing, try to, try to understand that like, there's going to be times when it's more difficult. And when it is difficult, don't take it personally. So if you keep getting rejected and you realize you have to go back to the drawing board or back to Mr. Miyagi, you know, as you said, don't take it personally. It's not about you saying that you don't have a good enough idea for a book or for a insert your project here. It's just that it's there, there's a, there's a, if you're trying to break into an, another level of, of your life and of our culture, like of our surroundings, there are going to be barriers. And some of those are self-imposed. So they might be just, first of all, your belief in yourself. But other, other barriers are like just imposed by outside gatekeepers. And if they want people with a YouTube following of 100,000, well, then you keep your goal the same. You want that book publishing deal. You want that client. You want that whatever. You keep that as the main goal. But then you're like, well, I got to go get 100,000 followers because I think that's going to help and go get them, you know? Yeah. I'm motivated. Yeah, you should be. You should be pumped up, man. You you should you should be you should feel twenty eight right now. That's what, that's what you. That's what you so feel. so so speaking about feeling twenty eight. So you said you're you're twenty nine or you're turning twenty nine. Well, I'm gonna be twenty nine on May fourth. It doesn't matter when when you're listening to this. By the time you're listening to this, I'll definitely be twenty nine. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. This is publishing on May second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll definitely be twenty nine. <laughs> so so yeah. Um, so what happens? Have you already registered rich thirty something, rich forty something, rich fifty something, and rich sixty something, or is this just what what happens when Daniel says, turn, turns thirty? Are you, are you like screwed? Your whole brand is down the toilet. I cannot believe that you are giving me this softball question. This is a softball. <laughs> okay, look at rich twenty is not. That's, that's first of all, I took my face off the book for a reason. I took my face off the front of the website for a reason. Rich twenty something is about is not about me, and rich twenty something also is not about millennials. Millennials are a generation that will pass and fade. Uh, just like, you know, the great generation and the boomers and the X. And now after us, we have generation Y, which I think these guys are crazy. I think they're already like way more advanced than I was at that age. Um, so the 20 the something, people are going to be 20 somethings until, until humanity is over. So that's why I, I kept it specifically generic and not uh, tied down to a certain time period. And then also like, I don't have to be the person um, forever that like runs this company. We might eventually sell it one day. Um, or at some point, you know, I might just like get it, go get another CEO. But like the, re- the reality is what we provide at Rich 20, a lot of people talk about ROI in business, return on investment. We talk about ROT. So that's return in your 20s. It's something that we made up. And basically the idea is we want you to take this critical period of your life, which we think is anywhere between 18 and 19 and early 30s, but basically this decade, we want you to figure out the ways in this crucial decade to invest your time so that you get the biggest return on that investment in your 30s, 40s, and 50s. And that means, you know, and, and beyond. And that means, you know, with your money, with your relationships, with your mindset, a lot of the things we talked about here today. Um, and so we see that as evergreen. And when Daniel is 45, 
<laughs> guess what? He's still going to have a book called Rich 20 something. And, you know, and some, some kids are going to be reading it and they're going to be really happy. And I think that's, and I'm glad I softballed you on that because I do, <laughs> I do, I do want to hear, and, and I think I just heard a lot of the core philosophy ideology of what you've brought to the table. And I think a lot of people have a huge misconception about millennials. I know when I was in my twenties and I, I started our, our business, uh, my first agency when I was 18. So I probably would have been an avid reader. Um, had I been a few years, uh, younger, you know, when, when you guys were coming along and I think that a lot of people think, you know, have just weird perceptions of millennials and, it's like people, like you've said, have been 20 <laughs> since the beginning of time, right? Like this is not a new age group. And I think that if people, the sooner that you can figure out that you don't have to play your life by some weird, archaic, industrial revolution book of rules of like go to school, go just like what you said where you had these like three choices or whatever and that was what everybody was doing, the sooner you realize that and get to work, I mean, it, especially in those years of your life, not everybody's like this, but I had, um, I was able to take some huge risks because I didn't have a family yet. I didn't have a spouse yet. Um, life was pretty cheap unless I felt like going out and partying with my friends and having $250 bar tabs or whatever, you know, like <laughs> normal life could be really, really cheap. You have like a really unique opportunity, just like compound uh, interest with investing. You get that extra 10 years in your twenties of doing amazing stuff early uh, or at least taking some big swings while the stakes aren't super high. Like you don't have, three kids and a spouse and, you know, two other family members that you're supporting or whatever, when, when maybe you're 50 or whatever, you can take some big swings in your twenties and that will compound your success later, even if you're failing miserably in your twenties. Like, I feel like that's, that's kind of part of what you're, you've been kind of preaching and saying to people for a long time. And I think it's a really good message. Totally. I feel, I mean, like, I, I don't think anybody would be, would argue with the fact that I would say 90% of people between 18 and 25, pretty much piss those years away. I mean, just because there's not a lot of clarity around those years, there's not a lot of clarity around what you should be doing, uh, especially if you're kind of unsure about what your path is gonna be, you kind of just fiddle around a little bit. You kind of just, you're, just, you're kind of searching. And the 20s is a, has historically been a period of searching throughout our generation. The only difference between the 20s of nowadays, which are like millennials and then kind of like edging into the younger generation, but a lot of millennials, and, and 20s, 20-somethings of the past is that we just have more information and more access, which gives us certain advantages that because we're able to get things done faster and we have more options, but it also confuses us because we have paradox of choice. So now it's our responsibility to just get focused on, on what it is that our goals are and use those resources which we have, which, which all the other generations think are so frivolous, like social media, use those advantages to our benefit rather than like, then because you can also take the same advantages that we've been given as 20 somethings in this current period, you can take those same advantages and you can use those for, you can, you can waste those opportunities. You can use social media. You can use the internet as a way to just distract you and pacify you and kind of like a masturbatory thing where you're just on it just to be there. Or you can be like, wow, for once in human history, there is like a, a 10 year period. And it's only been these last 10 years where like we've sequenced the human genome. We've figured out pretty much everything that every human has figured out and put it all in one central location for free. And you can get lightning fast communication, you know, for basically free or cheap. And everyone has a supercomputer in their pocket and you're online watching Reddit, which is cool. But you, you I think that we need to like have some perspective here because maybe we'd be a lot further along 
if all of us kind of clued in on the fact that we have a huge opportunity. I think you're a, I, I can safely say you're a, an avid optimist, which is good. Are you <laughs> ready for, uh, are you ready for some lightning round questions? Throw it at me. All right. What is the best advice you've ever received? Mm, best advice I've ever received? Uh, to, to this date, I'd probably, probably say it's, it's patience. This is something I keep hearing, and I know I've already talked about today, but I think having patience is good because patience lends perspective. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? Oh, this is a good. You know what might also be a good one? Which personal habit has led to your, your, the biggest detriment in your life? That's a good <laughs> one. Uh, I guess that'd be a vice, wouldn't it? Um, personal that, habit. That could be its own show, I think. That's called therapy. When I was in high school, I started training as a competitive bodybuilder, and I did a bunch of different bodybuilding shows. And I mean, you know, I guess I'm on the show being interviewed so I can toot my own horn. I looked pretty, I looked pretty good. Like I really, <laughs> really like really shredded and very dedicated and I won a bunch of shows and I have a bunch of trophies. Um, and, but that experience, uh, it wasn't really that fun, but the outcome was fun. And what I learned from that was like extreme discipline, like can, like controlling every single micro gram of food that went into my body and then measuring the result kind of gave me this weird, um, I don't want to, I think sadistic might be too far over the top, but like this weird hyper controlled, um, like outlook on how to measure what I'm doing and how to focus. And while I don't ever focus on things like that with my body anymore, I still train. I don't do, I don't like do uh, bodybuilding shows. I think having a really long period, like for about two or three years in my developmental years of just like extreme focus on kind of an objective measurement has allowed me to look at business and be like, okay, this is how much mental intensity something's going to take for me to get done and being more aware of, um, of like my, my mental output just because I had to like measure things, track things and compare things. And that, I think it's really helped. Nice. Do you use, or, or can you share a, an internet resource or tool, something that you avidly use, uh, that, that helps you keep it all together? Something that our listeners might, might like to hear about. Yeah, this is something that you guys might like. Uh, there are two tools, and they kind of serve the same purpose, but they have slightly different functionalities. So if you need to get in touch with someone, let's say you're, you have your agency, you're trying to build up your client list. One of the things that I recommend is, um, and this is kind of like I recommend this in my book. I recommend this in just my different online material. One of the things I recommend is that in the beginning days, you go out and you get some clients and you do free or very inexpensive work to build up your portfolio, which is everyone is worried about. And then you just do a great job and you get referrals based on those pieces of work that you've done. And um, one way that you can do this, if you want to start working for, for some companies right away, rather than just trying to like go to your uncle or your cousin across the street, one way that you can do this is you can use um, two different pieces of software. One is called Clearbit, C-L-E-A-R-B-I-T, which, uh, which is a Google Chrome extension. I believe it's available in Gmail. So it's a Gmail extension. And then there's another one called Email Hunter, emailhunter.io. That's a separate web application. And what those two applications will allow you to do, and I prefer Clearbit a little bit more, I just think it's more clean, cleaner, uh, is, it, is it will allow you to basically type in the name of any company in a domain name, and it will return to you all the registered email addresses with those uh, companies and websites. So like, let's say you wanted to do, let's say I wanted to do a partnership with like, I don't know, Urban Outfitters, because my book seems like it's going to really appeal to people who shop at Urban Outfitters. Well, I could just type in urbanoutfitters.com and it would return like basically the entire C-suite of all the people who work there, plus a lot of like the executives, the reps, the VPs. And from there, I can piece together who I need to talk to. 
Because what I've learned over the past is that a lot of times it, what's holding you back are not your skills, like your ability to perform a job, but your access. And so one easy way to break out of that mold quickly by saying, oh, I don't know who to talk to is just to get a whole list of people who work at a company and then just start working your network from there. Um, and those tools have been really helpful. I know you're an avid reader. Give me, uh, I'm going to limit you on this one, one book that you recommend to our listeners and why. One book? Oh, <laughs> right. Come on, man. That's like, you're asking, you're, are you really going to ask an author to give you <laughs> one book? I mean, okay. Well, first of all, this is what I'll, I'll preface you. Brett, uh, um, Brent will put the my name and all the stuff in the show description, and you guys can search my name. Go to goodreads.com, and you'll see I catalog, I catalog every book that I read, um, and I leave relatively detailed reviews as well, along with my star rating. So you guys will see what I feel, what I think about these books. I read a lot of books this year, and so it's it's April when we're recording this, and in January and February, I think I read like just over forty books combined. Some of them are audiobooks, some of them were uh, written, some of them were eBooks. But I did that to cram in all this information because I knew that in March and April and May I'd be, you know, working on launching my own book. So if you have to read one book tomorrow, Untethered Soul, it's called The Untethered Soul. It's by this author named Michael Singer. He is a former uh, tech executive of a billion dollar company who ended up getting indicted by the FBI uh, and wrongly accused of some crimes he didn't commit. And he wrote this book as a framework around how he dealt with an extreme amount of anxiety and like self-depreciating thoughts and it's a great exploration into like the mental chatter that goes on in our heads how to quiet it how to use it to our advantage and what it really means and that i think is applicable in personal and business uh, context so daniel your book ditch your average job start an epic business and score the life you want this uh this podcast is debuting uh may 2nd i think i think you can can you can if if we're talking about our future selves can i buy the book today if i'm listening to this podcast well yeah look i mean in the book and so yeah that's the book the book's called rich 20 something ditch your average job start an epic business score the life that you want and that's we what we were going for was the longest possible <laughs> subtitle i think we've achieved it and yeah it's available right now you can go to rich 27.com slash book that's two zero rich 20 two zero something.com slash book or you can go to amazon barnes and noble all the places it's available and so it's available nationwide and if you get a copy you can go you can email me daniel at rich 20 something you can dm me on any social media and i'll enter you onto our bonus list uh, anytime through the beginning of May, and we're giving away we're giving away a few MacBook Pros, we're giving away uh, Snapchat spectacles, we're giving away tickets to our live events, we're giving away a couple other cool prizes, and everyone's going to get something just as a thank you. So you can go ahead and DM me a screenshot of your receipt, and I'll add you to our bonus list, and we'll send out some prizes. I want a prize. You want a prize? <laughs> <laughs> your prize is your prize is your appearance on my podcast. <laughs> Woo! All right. Well, Daniel, thank you so much, man. It's been a pleasure uh, chatting today. Wish you all the success in the world with your uh, book launch. Get on that list. And uh, I hope if anybody listening to this, uh, you know, go sign up for Daniel's list, buy his book, and uh, start following this guy because he definitely knows what he's talking about. And I think uh, you've got a lot of good things to say. And we've just been really fortunate to have you on our program. Thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate it. All right, man. Talk soon. Love it.